The tension never dies. The tension never dies. Every one of you has experienced tension or will always experience some kind of tension of being where you are now and where you want to be in the future or where you want to be tomorrow. I remember wanting to go to college. And I'm like, ooh, when I get to college, things will get better. And then when you go to college, you're like, ooh, I need to get into my major, and then things will be better. Or when you're finished, you're like, I need to graduate college because this is getting a little old. Um, I need to figure out this relationship or that relationship in college. Then the tension will go away. Okay, I'm out of college now, and I remember being out of college. I'm like, oh, now I'm going to go to grad school. Then I'll be, then the tension will go away. And then there was tension around, like, I, I want to I be finished with grad school. I want to get into my first job. And then, like, you finally end up in your first job. And you're like, ooh, I wish I could go back to school because this is, this is hard. And you're, like, living in this moment of, like, not, you're like, ah, it's difficult. You're, there always seems to be something where you're like where you are now and then there's that thing, that feeling of like wanting to be somewhere else. I don't know, has anyone ever experienced that? Maybe in a relationship or a job or anything at all. And I remember not being married and I go, ooh, once I get married, then the, that tension will go away. And that just actually brought in more tension. Love you, babe. <laughs> And then the, the, the question isn't not so much, will I be married? It's like, what am I going to do now that I am married and I don't know what I'm doing? And then you're like, and then you'd be like, well, then now I can just focus on my career. And you're not at where you want to be at your career. Some of you are not where you want to be in your career. And you think about, oh, once I get to this point in my career, then the tension will go away. Am I hitting on a nerve at all? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, once you make this amount of money, if I just made a little bit more money, the tension will go away. I remember like, oh, I'm going to work on my doctorate and then maybe we'll move to LA and then we'll start a church. Then the tension will go away. And now I've got enough reps of years where like, oh, wait a second, maybe the tension never goes away. Maybe there's always something. Is this depressing? <laughs> it should be. Well, maybe it's, maybe it's depressing. And then you're like, oh, we're going to get going. And so like we wander the earth for a couple years. And then we actually launch Pacific City Church. And we have thousands, if not hundreds of people that show up. On, and, they get, and the church is starting to grow. And all of a sudden the pandemic. And they're like, oh, I can't wait for this pandemic. There was tension around the pandemic. And then you bounce out of the pandemic and there was all these things. But each one, of us, and each one of us experiences that tension of being where you are and where you want to be. And the longer I'm at this, life the more I realize that the tension never goes away. You will always be somewhere, and there will always be something else that's going to be happening for you. Whether you are single and want to get married, whether you're married and want to be single, <laughs> whether you're in your job now uh, and you want to go to this next level, whether you want to figure out what's going on in your relationship with God, there's things where you feel stuck. This tension doesn't go away. So as soon as you solve that one problem, there will be something else that you have to solve. And I just think that's a part of the human experience. And here's why we're talking about this today. Because sometimes God gives us pictures. He gives us dreams. He gives us big vision that comes from him. But the tension between what he's shown us and where we are that's just not going to go away. And why? why? Why does this tension exist? Well, there's lots of reasons, but today I want to show you three. I'm going to show it to you in three different acts, like in a play. Three different acts in a play and why these tensions don't go away or what God might be doing in these tensions. And there's three different passages of Scripture. 
I already know when we're driving back home, my wife is going to say that should have been three sermons, but we're going to do it all in one. <laughs> so I'll just beat you to the punch. Um, and so um, we're going to look at three characters, Moses, David, and Jesus. And in Act 1, here's what we see. In Act 1, big dreams, big vision mean that sometimes we have to wait for God to initiate an open the next door. Sometimes we have to wait for God to initiate and open the next door. Let me tell you the story of Moses. Moses was born into slavery, and the Pharaoh was trying to kill all the little baby Israelites that were in Egypt, slaves to the Pharaoh. And so his parents put him in a raft and float him down the river, and he just, he's discovered by some Egyptian people, and he's raised as an Egyptian. And there was a prophecy that was spoken over him that one day he would save the people of Israel from their slavery. And he grows up in the house of the Pharaoh. And then one day he sees one of his fellow Israelite brothers being bothered by an Egyptian. And so what does Moses do? He gets involved and he kills the Egyptian. And he kind of shortcuts the vision for his life. And so what does he do? He's like, oh no, I'm in trouble. I overstepped my bounds. And he flees. And he goes to a different land. And there he meets a shepherd, Jethro. And he ends up getting married to the daughter. And he works for his father-in-law, tending sheep. He's tending sheep. So he goes from the house of Pharaoh to attending sheep. And here's what it says. It says in verse uh, 1 of Exodus 4, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, a priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. I would love to see that. That would be pretty cool. Moses saw that, he, that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. So, I tell you that backstory. And what you have to understand is that verses 2 and 3 can't happen without verse 1. And what's really interesting about verse 1 is this. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Moses, now it doesn't say in this verse, but did you know that in between slaughtering that Egyptian... And this moment here, guess how long it was? He waited 40 years. 40 years. A 40-year break between knowing what he would, was supposed to do or what he could do to help his people who are suffering in Egypt and this moment where God comes and speaks to him 40 years, tending his father's sheep, keeping sheep. This is basic. This is simple. This isn't some complex brain surgery task. This is doing DoorDash for 40 years. A simple task. Something that earns money, it earns a living, there's all dignity and all of that in being a shepherd and doing DoorDash. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying anything, but, but there's something about like he was on the side of a mountain and nothing was happening for him for a really long time. And this is the tension 
of the already and the not yet. Yes, I know what I should do. I know what needs to be done. My friends and my relatives are in slavery in Egypt, but I have to be here on the backside of a mountain tending sheep for my father-in-law. How many of you, how many of you feel like you have a vision? How many feel like God's given you a picture or a dream, but you also feel like you're on the backside of a mountain? How many of you? You don't have to raise your hand. Uh, you, but thank you, Patrick. But uh, how many, <laughs> I appreciate the vulnerability. We can pray for you later. Sometimes that's how it is. That sometimes we know what needs to be done. We know that God's put something on our heart. We have a burden. We have a vision. We have an idea. We know that God's given it to us. It's not just our big grand idea, but we're still on the backside of a mountain. We're not doing the thing that we want to do. We're not in the relationship we want to be in. We're not in the place in our career. We're not doing the things that we thought we would be doing in our relationship with God that we thought we'd be doing by now. And there's that tension. And Moses felt it. And Moses felt it for 40 years until God came in a burning bush. Then he went to Egypt and he actually did the thing. He actually freed thousands and thousands of people from slavery from the Pharaoh. But it was in God's timing. In the movie, The Lord of the Rings, at the very beginning, um, Gandalf shows up on the Shire. And there's this one line I just always really love uh, because um, Frodo jumps on the cart with him and he goes, he jumps on, he's all little and there's Gandalf and he's in his wizard hat and things and he's got his little pipe. And he says, you're late. And Gandalf, in Tolkien, the genius that he was, he wrote it, he goes, a wizard is never late. A wizard arrives precisely when he means to. And they both have a long chuckle. And why do I like that? I like it because the power, the next step, the, the spiritual reality of Jesus arrives precisely when he means to. And I think that's what uh, Tolkien was getting at in that moment. That Jesus opening doors, initiating new things in your life, in the lives of, our, in the, lives of the people around you, in our, in our church's life, he's not late. He, he arrives precisely when he means to. And here's what I think was happening. Forty years prior, Moses was a little cocky. And so the Lord spent 40 years working on Moses' character. God was doing something in Moses' character. And you know what? You're waiting. If you're waiting, if you're feeling the tension, maybe God is doing something in your character. I know that you think you're ready, but maybe you're not. Have you thought about that? Maybe you're not ready. Or maybe you think you're in the right time, but maybe it's not the right time yet. And when we read this, when we read what happened to Moses, we have a choice. Will we try to reach for it? Or are we going to wait for God to initiate? So many times, I've tried to shortcut and grab it. Name it and claim it. More like blab it and grab it. Sometimes we try to grab things that aren't ready for us. Moses tried to do that. Consequences was 40 years of waiting. And so when we see this, 
sometimes we have to wait for God to initiate and open doors for us. Sometimes we don't need to push ahead. And sometimes that is what's happening in the tension, right? The tension that you feel, the tension of not being where you want to be, where you are, with whatever it is, sometimes we just have to wait. And how do we wait? We ask God, we say, God, I'm going to wait. I'm just not going to move. The scriptures are clear. When we wait upon the Lord, he, he arrives precisely when he means to. And if you've ever tried to push something up a hill, it's really hard. It's much easier to push it downhill. And I would say that to you. If you're kind of in a stressful situation, you, maybe you need to ask, maybe I just need to wait. Maybe I just need to pause. Now, there could be pressure around you. Like, say you're single and you want to be married, and your parents come to you and go, you're running out of time. Like, there's going to be pressure for marriage. There's going to be pressure for career. There's going to be pressure for all these things in the tension that we feel that will come from the outside in. But sometimes we just need to do what we need to do, and which is to wait. Are we clear? Can I move on to the next point? That's act number one. Act number two is this. Experience, experience is gained, ex, experienced is gained in the desert when no one's watching. It should be experience. Experience is gained in the desert when no one is watching. Let's talk about David. So David is a shepherd boy. This is a theme with shepherds, you know. He's a shepherd boy and he goes to deliver some cheese and some food to his um, his brothers who are fighting in a battle against the Philistines. And when he arrives, he just sees that there's something terrible going on. There's this 10-foot man, 9-foot-9 they think he was. His name was Goliath, and he's coming out. And he says, fee-fi-fo-fum, I, I smell the blood of an Israelite man. And, um, and he's like, why, why should we shed blood between us in battle, between our two warring countries? Send out one of your men to fight me. Kind of not a fair fight. And everyone is dismayed. It says they're down on their luck. And, and they're all sad. And they're like, no one can beat this guy. And so the, the morale is really low in the camp among the Israelites because no one wants to fight a 10-foot guy. I mean, that's a terrible idea. So David is all really indignant. He's like, how dare this man defy the armies of the Lord? And he's like, how dare? And he's like, I will go and fight him. And everyone's like, don't, shut up. You're just a kid. And he's like, no, I'm going to do it. So they bring him before, we bring him before uh, Saul, the king. And Saul's like, what, what, do, you, what do you do? How, should, how could we trust you? Like, how, you're going to lose, and you're going to lose on behalf of all of us. Why should we do this? And this is what is said in 1 Samuel. This is what David says. After, after, after uh, Saul asked him that question, he says, But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, we can discuss that later, will be one like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Now, and David went on to um, take a stone and fling it into Goliath's forehead and killed him. He actually won. And the Philistines flee. And so what we see is we have, we, there's this whole lesson around David and having massive faith that the Lord would rescue him. And you also see that David's biggest fear wasn't his own death. We see that David's biggest fear was uh, the Lord being defiled, 
or being talked bad against. But for the sake of this discussion, here's a thought. Maybe your circumstances aren't happening to you. Maybe your circumstances are happening for you. And maybe, just maybe, you are perfectly positioned to learn something that you didn't know before, to grow, to take advantage of the time between the times. And this is what happened to David. David is the least of the family. He's the runt. He's never going to get most of the inheritance. He's going to be overlooked in most all family affairs in ancient Jewish culture. So they send this boy out to the field to watch the sheep. Don't mess it up, David. All the big boys have to go to war and do the important things. And while he's kicking stones on the backside of a mountain, tending sheep while his brothers are doing more exciting things, he gets attacked by a lion. I often go on YouTube and watch uh, bear and lion attacks. I don't know what's wrong with me. I like those things. <laughs> and they're like, oh man, he really got away that time. Do you know how hard it is to fight a bear? Do you know how rough lions can be? They're rough. They're dangerous. And David, he's just trying to tend the sheep and not get yelled at by his dad, Jesse. He's like, why am I doing this? This sucks. I should not want to be here. I don't want to do all this. I want to be out with everybody else. Have you ever been there when you're like assigned or relegated to a particular situation in life and then more gets piled on top of you? <laughs> and sometimes we look at that and we're like, oh, oh, we've hit the bottom. Oh, I've hit the bottom here. Can only go up from here. And then more happens to you. You ever been there in a relationship, at work, dealing with those people that raised you? And maybe, maybe, just maybe, you're perfectly positioned to learn something there, to grow, to take advantage of the time between the times. And some people, on the one hand, believe that nothing happens in the time between the times. I would argue that sometimes the important times in your life, where you have to step up and do something that's courageous and big, and meaningful, sometimes those things are delayed until you learn the lessons that you have to learn in the backside of a mountain. Those things are necessary moments. Now, in the moment, do you think David said this, you know, I'm going to save all of Israel if I learn how to fight this bear? No, you can't make those connections. He didn't know what he didn't know. But let me ask you this. Are you not where you want to be? You still, that tension, that feeling, are you not where you want to be? Are you experiencing hard things right now? Are you experiencing challenges, relationship challenges, work challenges, financial challenges? Well, what if these challenges, while you're bored, while you're broke, while you're bummed out that you're not doing and being what you think you should be, what if these challenges are perfectly positioned or perfectly designed to develop something in you so you are better and perfectly prepared for the future. That's quite possible for you. And when you're in this tension of not being where you want to be, what do you do? You kind of need to take advantage of the hard things that are coming at you. There's something to be learned there.
Act number three. Here's where it gets funky. It's possible to do good things the wrong way for the wrong reasons. Here's where we get to Jesus. So Jesus, he's raised, grows up. He gets baptized by John the Baptist. And immediately the Spirit of God descends and, and anoints him to go and preach the good news. Before that happens, he wanders off into the desert for 40 days for testing. These are called the three temptations of Jesus. And I'm going to read them to you and I'm going to give you a summary because there's something we really need to learn here about doing good things for the wrong reason for the wrong way. Or the, excuse me, the wrong way for the wrong reasons. And it says in uh, Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And by the way, look at that. The devil can lead you. Sometimes we say, Well, I'm feeling led. You can actually be led by evil spirits and evil forces. That's what I get from this. Then the devil can, took him to the holy city and had him stand in the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, in verse 8, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Jesus tempted in the wilderness. This is Jesus tempted in the wilderness here. Now, what I need you to see in this, you've heard this story before how it pertains to the tension is that Satan's pretty slick in this. The tempter is pretty slick because the temptations made towards Jesus were actually like really good things. Really good things. Satan wasn't tempting him to do bad things. Satan was actually tempting him to do good things in the wrong way. He was trying to get Jesus to take a shortcut and therefore violate his calling and disqualify him as a leader, or disqualify him as the person that came to do it, to get him off track, to get him off mission. And I want you to understand this, because this is really important when we are dealing with the tension in our lives, and this is where we can go and we can make mistakes. Look at temptation number one. He turns stones into bread, and here's the temptation that Jesus was facing. Here's the essence of that. It is this. Will you make your ministry about meeting needs? Will you be about the tyranny of the urgent? You know, in the big dream, the big vision that God has given you, the tension that you feel about being where you are and you're not there yet, will you allow yourself to be distracted by the tyranny of the urgent and meeting needs? Jesus' ministry primarily, even though he did meet needs, that wasn't his primary calling. His primary calling was to challenge the cause and the, the, the root cause of those needs, where they come from. His clear vision was to take on and defeat sin. And what Satan's trying to do here is he's trying to tempt him to say, just 
meet those needs, address all the things that are popping in, and just take care of those things. You don't need to worry about the big thing. Just take care of yourself. Take care of your own needs. And this is very sticky because there's a lot of times where we do need to meet needs, where we do need to care for the poor, the widow, the orphan, everybody who is in need in the city. There's things that we have to do, and there's opportunities for us to do it, and God is leading those people into our lives so that we can step in and do those things. There's needy people that are going to need your attention, and you're going to have to look them in the eye and not be thinking about the 10 things you have to do. You're going to have to stay focused in that moment and help that needy person where they're telling you their story about whatever it is they're going through. That is hard. I get that. But that is not the primary calling all the time. And it wasn't the primary calling for Jesus. It's not the primary calling for us. And so one thing we have to be aware of is what is our mission? What are we called to do? What are we called to be? And will we not be tempted by the tyranny of the urgent? There will always be something or someone that's trying to get you to do something, and it will be a good cause. But we have to stay focused on what we have to stay focused on. Uh, temptation number two, he throws himself off. Hey, throw yourself off the temple. Temptation number two, will you become entertaining and amusing to the masses? Can you imagine you go to Dubai, you climb up that really big, you know the big tower? What happens in Dubai? Anyway, um, it's not a conspiracy talk. Uh, you go to Dubai, you go to the top of Dubai, and you jump off, and then you don't die. Like, spiritual forces catch you at the bottom. Can you imagine? You'd have a crowd instantly. People would be like, this is amazing. I can't believe you didn't die. And you'd be like, yeah, God saved me. And then you get everyone to follow you. And you get everyone to follow God. And that's what Satan's trying to do here. He's trying to get him to kind of press into the boredom of the people, to amuse them, to titillate them, to get them excited about what's happening. And in the same way, God has a big dream. God has a big vision for you. You feel the tension of where you are or where you could be in the future. Will you allow yourself to be distracted? And this is for particular people. Will you allow yourself to be distracted by pleasing people, by trying to keep them engaged, by living for others big ideas for you. You can be distracted in that way. Third thing, he says, all the kingdoms, if you, I'll give it to you all. I'll give you total control if you just bow down and worship me. And that's temptation number three. Will you control people and take away free will? Satan says, listen, it's going to be so much easier if you just centralize all the power to yourself. If you just demand that all the kingdoms of the world just follow you, it's going to be easier. And I'll give you that power. You don't have to work through people. You don't have to negotiate. You don't have to persuade. I'm just going to give you all the power, and you can just go ahead and... Wouldn't it be a lot easier? You ever have the feeling when you think about the government and the challenges we're going through? You had Biden, and you had Trump, and you had Obama, and you had all the other people before. And you have, like, the two parties that are warring, and now someone different owns Twitter. And then some people are saying things on, on social media. Like, wouldn't it be easier if everyone just listened to what you had to say? You had all the power to kind of say what should be said and not be said. And that's kind of the thing that's being pulled into here, like that Jesus is being tempted by. You could have all the control, Jesus. Just bow down and worship. And Jesus never wants to do that. Jesus never wants to control you. 
He didn't want to control people then. He doesn't want to control people now. In the same way, you have a big dream. You have a big vision. You are where you are today. You're not where you want to be totally yet. Will you allow yourself to be distracted by the myth that you can actually control anything? You can't control anything. You cannot control the person that's sitting to your left or your right. You cannot control the outcome of this next election. I don't care what you post on Instagram or the new ownership under, under the new ownership, Twitter under the new ownership, however you want to say that. Uh, I don't care what you do there. You cannot control people's behavior. You cannot control anything at all. And Jesus refused to control things. How much less power do you have than Jesus? A lot less. And when we think about this tension of not being where you want to be, where you are now, we have to take these three things into consideration. And what I, the only conclusion I can come up with is that if we don't think about these things, we'll take bad shortcuts. And what I want us to do is be able to take good, good the, go the good route, not good shortcuts. I want, I want us to take the right path. You know, and part of that is a call to surrender. And surrender is saying, you know, God, you know, like Moses, once again, I will yield control of the timing of my life to you. My timing is in your hands. I'll wait for you. Whatever it is, whatever you're wrestling with, God, I want to surrender to you. Your timing is best. And if it means that I'm on year one of 40 years of waiting, I'm willing to do that. God, I yield control of the timing to you. And like David, God, I surrender. I'm willing to take time to learn the lessons I need to learn while I'm on the backside of a mountain tending sheep. I'm willing to take advantage of the circumstances that I'm in to better myself while I wait. And then like Jesus, I want to surrender, God. I want to do things the right way. I don't want to do things the wrong way. I want to do things the right way at the right times for the right reason. And so we're going to conclude this series, Big Dreams, Big Vision, and I just encourage you, you are not where you want to be, or even if you are, there will be something else ahead of you. We've got to keep these things in mind. And so I want to call a few of us to respond. So why don't we all stand? So... Um, we literally have nobody here who's new for the first time, and we all kind of know each other pretty well. Uh, we're not best friends. I mean, who can be best friends with this many people? But so I want to do something a little bit different. Uh, and then, and Patrick, do you want to do you want to help out? Do you want to come up here? Sure. All right, cool. Um, Kate, do you want to come up too? No. Okay. Doesn't. Okay. <laughs> all right. Cool. And we'll see if Nikki wants to come up. But. Um, uh, I want to see who wants to uh, respond to this. Uh, I want to invite God to speak uh, to you about your vision, uh, about his vision for your future. Does that, is anyone looking for clarity about vision for the future? Can you just pop your hand up? Is there anyone? So back here, back here, right here, right here. Good. Can we have someone pray with you in just a minute? If you saw those hands, so someone on our prayer team can do it, or you can come to the... Actually, we should just make it a big mess up front. Can you please come forward when I'm done asking, and then we'll pray with you about those things? Can we agree to do that? And then the second group, um, and then we'll turn it over to you guys, see what you have to say. Um, some of you have clarity around 
vision for the future, but you're living in that tension. And I believe that God wants to strengthen you while you're in that tension, that waiting, the waiting that I talked about. Who does that apply to? Can I see hands? We got Jess. We have Eric. Anyone else? Okay. All right, cool. I'm going to turn it over to, uh, yeah, I want to invite you to step out. We're going to just do a big prayer thing in the front. So, uh, but before we do that, Patrick. Okay, no, okay. Yeah, why don't we pause here and see if the Lord wants to say anything else. We'll pause here and you can wait too. So come Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us. Um, is there anything else you want to do?